Turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Last week we were uh, wrapping up First Peter chapter 1. And so today as we delve into chapter 2, I'm going to just remind you that last week's message was focused on the topic of endurance. Uh, enduring the enduring word of God that we have been saved by. As, uh, as the, the chapter wrapped up uh, in verses 24, where it, it read, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There's a simple statement that we can, can jump from today, and that is that if the word of the Lord endures forever, if the Lord indeed endures forever, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand and endure forever. It makes logical sense that if you are in the word, and if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and therefore you will endure uh, and that's and that's where we find ourselves here today. Uh, as we turn into chapter two, uh, we're going to see today in uh, the title I've I've chosen for this morning's message is based on this concept that is found frequently in the Word of God, and that is that Christ is the chief cornerstone. So the title of the message is is uh, this morning is the stone don't miss it okay the stone don't miss it uh, we're going to go ahead and I'm, I'm going to actually have you you can listen or you can turn along with me if you would like I'm going to actually uh, read from a from a portion in Isaiah so if you want to turn there with me to Isaiah chapter 28 most of your Bibles will reference Isaiah 28, you know, as, as you read these quotes that Peter alludes to. So in Isaiah chapter 28, I'm just going to want to start off with this scripture as a bit of a, a pre-foundational piece for a focus on our foundation, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 28, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge. Hear that. For we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes 
will not act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. We are in a world, and jump back ahead, back to where we're at here today in 1 Peter. We are in a world, even as followers of Christ, we're in a world where you will be tried. Uh, the testing will take place. 1 Peter chapter 1 described the fact that, that we're going to experience a testing and we're going to experience trials in our faith, in, our, in this call to be followers of Jesus Christ. Peter said, rather than run from them, rather than wring your hands become, because of them, understand that, that the reality is, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more, here's that word again, precious, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to hear that again today in chapter 2. That while the trials are going to come, the testing and the ultimate outcome of that will be to the praise and the glory and the, and the, and the awe and reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me as we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will guide us this morning in your word. Lord, teach us, instruct us. Lord, please bring correction to each and every one of us, myself included, as we open your word and look into it. Lord, help us not to miss truth. Help us not to miss this greatest reality that has ever happened the placing of the true stone, the foundation, the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Help us not to miss it, not to stumble, not to fall on this very truth that is so pivotal. Lord, guide us and direct us this day in Christ's name. Amen. So let's, let's look at the, at the verses here in, in, in chapter 2 that we're going to be focused on here today starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 therefore laying aside all malice he's going to start off right off the bat talking about some things that we're going to be avoiding as followers of Christ laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow Thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Some translations say that the, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Coming, verse 4, to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, 
He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And then I'm just going to read 9 and 10 and stop there. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light, who all once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Lord, have the blessing to the reading of his word. Now, this is the word. This is the very gospel that was preached to you. We closed off chapter one with. We pass quickly. The flowers fade. The grass fades. Chapter one wrapped up with. Now, this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, verse one, therefore, laying aside all malice. We obey a word that calls us to action. My, my, first, uh, my first point that I want to pull out of, out of these first three verses in chapter 2 is this. God's word calls us to repent. He calls us to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Turn from the bad and turn to the good. Repent. Recall with me that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, we read about him early in the gospel accounts. It was John the Baptist who came out proclaiming, repent, prepare the way of the Lord. Remember in Matthew chapter 3, it mentions that. In chapter 4, it goes on and introduces you to Jesus Christ in his early ministry. Matthew chapter 4 tells us this, Jesus himself came out preaching, Verse 17 of chapter 4 of Matthew, he preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The final words of Jesus himself, if you go all the way to the end of the gospel accounts, the final words of Jesus directly to his disciples found in Luke chapter 24, verse 47 states this, Preach repentance and the remission of sins, and it should be preached in my name. Jesus said, I stand today before you, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. The message is consistent. When you approach a holy God, when you approach truth, it is a truth that calls us all to a life of repentance. Repent. Repent today. What do you need to repent of? Unholiness, sin, wickedness, evil. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says it. He says it in a bit of a soft way. And I, and I, and I wanted to take you to, to the words of John the Baptist. And I wanted to take you to the very words of, of the gentle Savior, the gentle shepherd, Jesus Christ himself, who said, Repent! And he comes and he says to them, and, and, and Peter comes and he says, Therefore, laying aside, laying aside all malice, 
Again, it, it, it may sound a little soft to you. that We, we hear that word repent and you're, and you're sitting there thinking, maybe I, maybe I have an appointment I got to get to here really quick. Uh, not one of these. But, you know, it, it's our starting point. There's great news. Uh, this passage, even what we're looking at here today, ends with an offering of praise. An offering, praising God for something known as mercy. You can't claim mercy and deny the act and the reality of repentance. You can't claim grace and deny the reality and the call to repentance. You're good. If you are, you are stumbling. You are falling. You are not embracing and building on a, a foundation of truth. I lived for a while in Chicago, downtown Chicago, Illinois. When you saw a building getting ready to get built, you would see some of the work that was going on prior to anything going vertical. You know, they, they, they tend to build high in, the, in downtown Chicago. Famously, some of the, our biggest skyscrapers. Have you ever seen the foundations that are laid for a skyscraper? It's immense. It would drive me crazy. I hate foundation work. And unfortunately, I got a few buildings I've constructed that can prove that to you. I love framing. Not a huge fan of the finished work. You know, I, I think there's something to that. You know, when you kind of find those kind of practical things, like just how you are as a person, you love certain parts of certain jobs. I'm good at destruction. Ask my dad, he'll tell you. I'm a good demolition guy. I really am. I mean, it's like I can tear some stuff up. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, there's something to that. And, and like you said, the, the framing, you know, just seeing the walls, what you've been envisioning in your mind and seeing the walls go up and, and throwing on a little bit of sheetrock and kind of getting somewhere. But there's certain aspects to the building process that are, that are more of a strain for me. It's just, it's just tough for me. Boy, it's good to have brothers and sisters in Christ who have strengths that I don't have. Amen? Why, do you, why should you be a part of the living body? Why should you be part of the, of, the, of the body of Jesus Christ? Because there's people in this room who just might have the ability and the tenacity to say, you know what, pick up the molding. Or you know what, let's get rid of the mold. You know what, there's a problem here and we're going to have to take about five steps back. Because right now, we can't, just, we can't just gloss over this. You know, I mean, anybody in construction will tell you, and some of you guys are in it way more than I've ever been in it. You know, it, it, every guy in the different aspect of it, especially if you just do, if you're just a framer, you're like, oh, the sheetrock guys will handle that. Oh, the tapers will handle that. Oh, the, the painters. I mean, a, a good paint guy can only hide so much, right? I mean, it's always like the next guy's job to make it look good. You know, I'm just, getting the, I'm just getting this part done. But what's more critical than the foundation? What's more critical than that? And how many of us, how many of us under the name and, the, and, and kind of a false pretense or a false security are walking around somehow bumping into the name and the, and the person, or maybe even the word of God occasionally, and yet it's not, there's no recognition of truth in it. There's no reality. There's no ability for that to stand up to the testing that will take place that is necessary. 
He says in verse 1, these are several, several things that, that Peter just lays out for us, and I'm, and I'm going to cruise over these pretty quick. But he says, lay aside, get rid of. Here's just a few examples. He could have given more, but here's a few that he goes after. Get rid of malice. Lay all malice aside. Malice, not, again, not a word we use much, but malice is this idea of evil, of bad. It's in all of us. It's in our sin nature. It's part of you. It's part of your natural bent. And it needs to be eradicated from your life. Get rid of malice. Deceit. Falseness, unauthentic aspects of your life, the fake. Get rid of the fake kind of living. Who are you? Make up your mind. Again, when I come at you and I say things like this to you, understand this. Even when I get a little fired up on occasion, understand this. If I get fired up, it's probably because I need to get fired up for my own life many times in these things. I need, I need a sharp word spoken right square into my face at times. I don't need to dance around the edges. I don't need it because I'm, I'm so good at it myself. Speak truth. Declare the word of God. Don't tip, tiptoe around it and say, well, well, you, you work out this for yourself. You figure out what you think God's word means here. You can do all those things, but you can test it based on what you're hearing here as well. Get rid of deceit and falseness, double-mindedness. Quit being a fake. What are you? Are you of the world or are you of the kingdom? Are you Christ or are you of the evil one? I'm sorry, but God's word is quite clear. You're either one or the other. A lot of us are living, bouncing between the two. Be honest, a lot of us are. A lot of us live in both camps all the time. We're, we're, like, we're like watching a lot of you guys drive down a freeway. You're in every lane. You know, you're all over the place. You know, pick a lane. We heard it earlier in, in chapter one. Settle your hope. Remember that message? Some of you were here. Settle your hope on Christ. Are you hoping in yourself? Are you hoping in what you're building and what you can do and what you can manage? Or are you going to hope in what Christ has said he has already done on your behalf? Settle your hope on Christ. Get rid of the fake, the deceit. Get rid of the hypocrisy. Hypocrite, an actor, coming from the Greek, an actor. Right? You act the part. We all do it. We all say it. Sometimes we, we're just to the point where we're just saying, yep, we're all hypocrites. You know, come to our church. And we're not going, to going, not going to deny it. Of course, there's aspects of us because we struggle with sin. There's absolutely parts of us that are, is hypocritical. When we declare truth, when you give your children, I talked last week of the great endurance that it takes to be a parent. To raise up your children. Of course, sometimes your children will be able to look at you and say, you hypocrite. Of course, but it ought not be your life. You hear that? It ought not to be your life. Your life is not that of a hypocrite. It's one thing to trip. It's another thing to live in that trip. To constantly be down. 
to constantly be just saying, you know what, you know, yep, 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 here I am again. That's just who I am. Be something new in Christ. He says here, lay, lay aside hypocrisy. He doesn't say embrace it. He says, uh, lay it aside. Hypocrisy, envy. What's envy? Wanting what others have. You can go back and take you back to the Ten Commandments and take you to the same, same words. Get rid of evil speaking. What's evil speaking sound like? Well, it sounds like evil. What's evil speaking look like? Well, it looks like evil. It's gossip. It's talking, talking about your brothers and sisters the moment they're not in the room. Do you struggle with that? We do it. We do it to ourselves. We do it to the people we love the most. The moment we're not there, we're, we're bait. The moment we're not in the fellowship, you got four brothers, one brother happens to be gone. The moment that one brother is gone, we're talking about that brother. It ought not to be. If we're talking about that brother, it's in lifting them up. We're not spiritualizing it by saying, oh, let me tell you about what I heard about such and such. Let me tell, I just want you guys to pray for him because I heard that he might be stepping out on his wife. If you've heard that, you run to that brother. You run to that brother and you take hold of him and you, you hurt for that brother. You, you bring correction to him. You know, I heard that, 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 that he's been stealing from his work. He's a thief. Really? You're hearing that and you're sharing that with others first? Be careful how you're, how you're conducting yourselves as people who have understood mercy and grace. It's a, it's a challenge for us as a church, you guys. It's a challenge for us and our families. Start it in your home. Start it in your home and then bring it into this body and start it and do it here. How am I going to do that? By, by laying aside my wants, my ambitions, my envious ways, which sometimes I, I just assume see a few brothers go down a couple of notches because now I'm feeling a little better about myself. It's just evil leaking itself into the body of Christ. And it, and it ought not to be. And he says, and, and so he really lays that out in verse 1. And then, and then look at verse 2. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Don't desire gossip. Don't desire things that other people have. He just spoke about that with envy. Don't desire all those things, those, those sinful desires that we have. He says, desire the pure word of God. Because you need to grow up. You need to grow up. We're going to see that, you know, as we continue in Peter, we're going to see this discussion about the, 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 the need of newborn babes to have this pure milk of the word. And then how later on we, we hear the reference of, of meat, how we ought, to be, we ought to be to the point where we're chewing on the meat of the word as opposed to still needing the milk. You know, there's this reference that is definitely there in the scripture. But suffice it to say that if we are to experience a new life, there is a ne very necessary component, a very natural component to new life. And that is the fact that it, with, when you have new life, you don't immediately hand them a hunk of meat. You, you provide them the pure spiritual milk of God's word that nurtures and grows them up. 
you disciple people, you, you bring people along, you, you, last time I checked, you know, you don't have a brand new, brand new baby and you just lay them on the floor and say, good luck, find some food because you're going to need it soon. You don't say that, you don't do that, it doesn't work. But in a spiritual sense, how often do we do that? Praise the Lord, somebody just asked Christ into their life, good luck. Hope you find something good. Or we're cramming steaks in their mouth. Or we're, or we're just leaving them out there to find anything and everything. Nurture them. Come alongside them. Disciple them. Build them up. Bring them along in the foundational basic principles of the word of God. So that you can grow up and mature in your faith. It's a desire that's based on experience, which leads to even more faith. Look what it says in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When you come to the word of God, what you ought to be taking people to or going to yourself is things that expose you to the goodness of your God. And there are indeed portions of scripture where you can begin. Let me get to know my God. Let me get to know this God who has chosen to reveal himself through his word to us. Because if we have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious and good, there ought to be a continued desire for that. I mean, again, there's a very practical sense that anything that you taste that is good you're generally not saying, that was delicious, I never want to taste it again. You generally don't do that. You know, you, you taste something that is good, you see the results, even something like exercise. Folks, when we're talking about maturing and strengthening, even something like exercise, there is something good that comes. I talked last week about endurance and how, you know, we, we run this race. You know, as you're strengthening yourself up there, isn't there something satisfying when you set your goal on running five miles? I have to go way back to remember such a thing. But, you know, if you set your goal on running five miles and you actually manage to do it without having to stop and walk. There's something about that in you as a human being that says, yes. And, it's, and it becomes a bit of a desire and a crave for you. Again, you may say, yes, never going to do that again. Uh, that was horrible, you know. But yet still, there's something that gets connected to you with that. It's seeing fruit. It's seeing the results of work. It's like looking in the mirror and seeing an improvement, a before and after. I'm putting in the effort and it's bearing fruit. It's sometimes for me, I, I, I'm teaching my students, and when you see them accomplish it, it's like sometimes kids think I'm very twisted. It's like they think I want them to fail a test. It's like, really? Well, you made it really hard. Because I want to challenge you. I want to see if you've been listening, and if you've been reading, and if you've been paying attention. I want to know, have you learned? Do you understand it? Can you handle this? I want to know that because I want to see the fruit of the labor that is put into it. What do you think 
God wants for you. We, again, we bumped into the word precious here a number of times. You know that you are precious in the eyes of God? We all want to feel that way. We all want to be wanted. We all want to be accepted. We'll, we'll run to groups all over the planet. We, will, we have people every single day, some of you maybe, we have people every single day that will lay their life out for a complete stranger online they've never met and lay out the most secretive, vulnerable parts of their life to some random person sitting in a basement in the middle of Texas somewhere, all because they want connection. They want to feel wanted. Will you respond? Will you click? Will you give me a like? Will you give me, give me something? Why do you want this? When's the last time you saw a deer running down the road saying, will you like me? <laughs> When's the last time you saw a flower growing out in the middle of the field somewhere saying, would you just tell me how pretty I am? They're just content. They're content with being. They're still before the Lord. They're, they're there. They're doing what they were meant to do. What are you meant to do? Praise God. Reflect his nature. Quit searching for, for happiness. Quit searching for contentment. Quit searching for meaning in places that are empty. Don't miss the stone that God has given us to build our lives upon. Take a look at, at, the, at the words starting in verse 4. We need to come to him. Come to him as to a living stone. The Jump to Psalm, again, you can write it down or listen. Uh, Psalm 118 is where, where this comes from. Before I, I, I read on in 1 Peter... Look at Psalm 118, verse 19. It's such a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Oh, I, I pray that this is, this is our prayer, that this is our heart. Parents, you ought to be praying like crazy that this is something you can instill in the heart of your children. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you. For you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's got to be our prayer. Lord, I will praise you. We have a, guys, we're, we're given a choice here in this in this portion of first peter here that is that is a very vivid one that again it's the reason why i said don't miss it is really kind of coming at you right here and i and i and i ask that the lord will just help you to hear it and help me to declare it in a clear way to you this stone that is that we have is indeed only jesus christ he is the son of god he is the stone that all, all humanity must respond to. And Peter simply tells us as we come to him, we come to him as a living stone. 
rejected by men, excuse me, yeah, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And then he brings us right into it in verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. The one that we are being called to come to. To, and when, again, in the Greek there, when it says come to him, it's not a come to him as in bounce into him. It is a come to him and remain in him. Abide in him forever. He was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. Here's the question. What about you? Are you willing to be rejected by men? rejected by women, rejected by friends, rejected by co-workers, are you willing to be rejected by the world, but chosen by God? Last time I checked, when I read the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ said this, if you are called followers of me, if you follow me, if you take up your cross and you follow me, as they have done to me, so they will do to you. And I have chosen to suffer, but yet to trust the ultimate outcome to my God. Now you do the same. Be willing to suffer. Is it fun to be rejected? Is it fun to be ridiculed? Is it fun to be mocked because you are going to live differently than the rest of the world? Of course it is not. But here's the question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want you to focus here with me on the verbs that are given by Peter. The verbs are actions that you're called for here. The action verbs that this pure spiritual nourishing milk that we just spoke of enables us to do, calls us to do. Verse 4, we're given the verb to come, come to him. Verse 5, offer up, offer up. Verse 6, trust and believe. Verse 7, Believe, again, believe that he is precious, precious enough to choose him and only him. Jesus gave, gave examples. He says, he says the kingdom is like, like finding a treasure in a field. Do you remember that one? It's like finding a treasure in the field and, and you sell everything you have. You lay aside everything you have built up. Your land, your hobbies, your, your work, all the years of effort, all the education, everything that has made you something. And you embrace this something that Paul experienced, the radical shift of his life that says, I count it all as loss. I count it all as loss. It's garbage compared to the utmost call that I've been called into because I found in it life. We run after so much that promises us this is true living. You want life, you got to understand the embrace of a loved one. And you got to get that love no matter how you can get it. You want to live life, you got to understand the passion and the lust of sexual relationships. Who cares if it's within the bonds of marriage? You do you. Because that's living. And all after you've had her, there's 15 more down the street. Sounds funny, but it's the life. Don't you know? That's the life, men. 
Just get and get and get. Who cares how much you hurt? You become not a protector of women, but a destroyer of women. Who do you reflect? You reflect the evil that is Satan himself, the destroyer. How do you allow your sons to be raised to become that kind of a predator, that kind of a villain, that kind of a, of a man? Because you allow, you allow everything to slip and to slip and to slip and you continue to excuse it and you continue to embrace the culture that says, you do you. He says here, it's all about coming to Christ. I don't care if you're, you know, we talk about equality. Here is an equality of an opportunity. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care if you're born from the richest family in the neighborhood or the poorest family in the neighborhood. Jesus Christ said, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're working hard. You're doing all these things. You're trying to live up to the standards of your dad or your mom or your grandma or whatever it is, or your friends, give it up. Let it go. Sell it all. Buy the field. Buy the field that has been given to you through Jesus Christ. The one where you look out there and you behold, you behold a stone. A stone that is Christ Jesus. Not hewn from the hands of man, but hewn from the very, from the very God of glory. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 2, he talks about all these, all these powers, all these, all these kingdoms and all these lands in Daniel when you read that book. And then you come to Daniel chapter 2 and he speaks about a mountain being cut from this mountain that is in the, in the heavens. And it comes down and it says on that mountain and that stone, it will crush these feeble kingdoms of this world. China, Russia, United States of America, Rome, Greece, Persia, whoopty stinking do. Nothing, absolutely nothing. King of kings and Lord of lords. Believe in him, trust in him, agree. And look at verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, again, look at this, the word of God. I, I took, you to, took you to Psalm. I took you to, to Isaiah. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. By no means will you be put to shame. Do you want, do you understand the term shame? I would tell you that there's a lot in our society, and I'm sure a lot of you would agree, that we have in many ways forgot and don't even understand the word shame anymore. Our culture has a tough time with it. Occasionally when I teach, I try to make people understand. That I had a kid the other day that was reading about the fact, and again, I'm not trying to step on any toes here, but he was reading and doing a, you know, I had a final project for my class, and they spun, I had him spin the globe. Good, good uh, last week of school history teacher move here took a took a globe over to them and just spun it they love doing that anyway i said okay stick your finger on it you know you know it came i said all right nearest nation that's your that's your topic and they had to do a little research study on it well one of the kids happened to find a place in africa and one of the things he came across in this place in africa he's reading and doing his research he's like it says here that those who are those in this land that give birth outside of marriage 
They drowned the woman. Wow. And then another person came across how, how those who stray from the religion in this place, it's your job to go and kill your own relatives if they stray from their religion. Oh, wow. You know, it's like, you know, like because it brings shame to the family. It's like, wow. That's, you know, I mean, and you're just like, you know, trying to get them to just even, even encounter that. You know, we, we don't have shame for anything. And again, you know, we sway, and it is true, we, of course, you know, there is sin abounding. If I asked every one of you to just list the last ten sins in your life and just put it up here on the screen, whew, we would probably be shocked. We'd be looking around trying to say, okay, who, oh yeah, that was you. Yeah, no, no. You know, it's just like, I mean, we have, again, it's, it's all of us. You'd be like, what? And he's the pastor? You know, it's like, or, well, part-time, you know. It was just like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, that's, again, we struggle with it. But here's the reality, you guys. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, we should understand a carnal, harmful shame. The shame that we're called to understand here is a shame on missing truth. It's a shame on not understanding what God says is truth and what God says is eternal. And here's the deal. Shame, should it be a part of our lives? Absolutely. I'm not advocating drowning your sister. I'm not advocating you know, going out and you know, clubbing your brother to death when he strays a bit from the word. But what I am advocating is, can sin still cost? Can sin, can sin still be an offense to God in 2021? Can we still understand that, that when, when God's word says that sin grieves the Holy Spirit, that indeed we are the temple of God, and that when we just embrace a life of sin, that we are grieving the very Spirit of God that takes up residencies within us? We have to understand that sin is still a big deal. We have a holy God. We are called to fear this holy God that sin costs us. And that if you have been forgiven of sin, you should not be loving that same sin that you were just forgiven. It's a very practical thing. You ought to be desiring holiness. And you ought to be desiring to please that God who showed you mercy and offered you grace. I'm not going to rub that sin back in your face. I'm not going to be saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for taking the stripes. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming a curse on my behalf. Now let me curse your name on the golf course because I just missed a putt. I can't go there. I can't do that. We can't. We need to repent, which is where we started off. Repent doesn't mean go kill yourself. Repent means kill the sin and embrace the new life that you maybe don't think is possible or maybe don't think is reasonable. I promise you guys, it is reasonable. We got to move. We got a cornerstone here. I, I was on that word shame. By no means will you be put to shame. The, the, the declaration here, you guys, in verse 6, rolling into 7 is a declaration for the place where we will all be. You need to understand this, that in the, in the final time when you stand before the Lord, every person, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. 
If you are missing that mark, if you are not believing that and living that out in your life, you should be in fear of shame that will come upon you. If you believe and you agree that this stone, this chief cornerstone that was given by God, the very person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, if you believe and agree with God the Father and you look to that chief cornerstone as the truth, as Messiah, as your Savior, this and this truth will you never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. To say it in a simpler way, you will never regret that. Not only should you never regret that now, because everything that that clinging to, that abiding in, everything that that shields you from on this temporal, short-lived, grass in the field, flower in in the backyard, quick vapor existence that we have, it's quick, and it's like, well, you know, being in Christ, you know, I can't go do all those. I can't, I'm not supposed to do that, and I, and I really ought not to bring this into, into this temple and this holy, you know, this, this person I am in Christ. I'm denying myself these things, and, I, and, it's, and it's difficult. He says, but you're never going to regret it. I mean, we could all sit around here and probably give testimonies of, of awful sin that we've all walked into. Those, those list of ten things up there. And, and I would, I would I'd beg you this question. How many of the sins of your past can you sit here later on in life and say, I have no regrets for that sin? How many? I'll be honest with you. Here, here, here's where I'm at with this. Most every sin, and I say most, most every sin, I have quickly, not, doesn't, not much turnaround time, I immediately regret it. Immediately. But I can recall a few times in my life where I have lingered in one and made excuses for certain choices and actions that I made for a while. But I promise you this, the chickens come home to roost. And sometimes it took a a few months or maybe even a few years, but I found myself one day, and I've heard from brothers and sisters that say the same thing. I found myself one day driving down I-90 doing 75, and I had to pull over because I couldn't see. Because out of nowhere, grief came. Out of nowhere, shame came. And I had to say, oh, oh my God. Oh, God, forgive me. And you know what God did? You know what God did there? He forgave me. He, he, he picked me up. And he said, oh, my precious son. Those tears are good tears. That regret and that shame, it wasn't for nothing. Because it brought you back to me. And this is where you need to remain. Abide in me. Quit bouncing into me and then running away. Quit bouncing into me and then running out and finding yourself living in regret over and over again. Stop the nonsense. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And there will be no regrets. We're going to end there for today. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father.
Lord, as we as we just uh, rest on that thought, Lord, that Lord, it is such a privilege to open up Your Word, and and Lord, so often I know I am I am most definitely not worthy to be standing here declaring your word to these brothers and sisters in Christ. But Lord, I also just thank you for the privilege that it is. It's so great to see you working in the lives of, of these men and women, to see you and what you want to do in their families. Lord, I thank you that they're here, even in the struggles. I thank you that they're they're warring through life and they're doing it with friends and loved ones. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you will flood their hearts, Lord, if they have heard anything from me this morning that is causing them, uh, giving the devil a foothold. Lord, I pray that they will hear these final words here this morning. Words from Psalm 118, Lord, where you said, you are my God. When David cried this, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Lord, your mercy floods in where shame once reigned. Your mercy and your grace flooded in. No wonder why we praise your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen.